2: Welcome to the Sportsman's Voice Podcast, your inside connection to the outdoor legislation. From the beltway to policy happening your way, we're covering it all. I'm your host, Fred Bird. Join us as we explore public land access, wildlife and fisheries management, Second Amendment rights, the triumphs that shape our nation, the sports we all love, and the stories that fuel our passion for the great outdoors. This is the Sportsman's Voice Podcast. That's right, this is the Sportsman's Voice Podcast. I am your host, Fred Bird. Thanks so much for tuning in. Before we get to this week's guest, let us check in on the stories happening across the nation with this week's TSV Roundup. Welcome back, everybody, to this first TSV Roundup of 2024. It's a new year, and we're going to get into it by going back in time a little bit, catch up on happenings around the country. While we were away, as it pertains to the TSB roundups, a couple special edition episodes. At the end of last year, let's catch up on things that were going on here in December. A, a second ballot initiative has been filed in the ongoing attempts to ban hunting on uh, Colorado's mountain lions and bobcats. Uh, let's see here. This was originally. Initiative 91. There's now Initiative 101. And what does that mean uh, going forward? So the, the, the goal is still the same, but after receiving an unfavorable ruling at the Colorado Title Board, which resulted in the removal of the words trophy hunting from the opposition's proposed title for Initiative 91, as well as elements of the measure being contested in the Colorado Supreme Court, the opposition responded by authoring a new and more cleverly written ballot initiative, Initiative 101. The goal, as stated here a second ago, of 101 is the same as 91, to ban mountain lion hunting and bobcats and and lynx for good measure. Initiative 101 purposefully avoid some of the pitfalls in the initial attempt, many of which resulted in the first effort being challenged. Uh, It's clear that the forces behind Initiative 101 are very serious about seeing this through to the ballot and winning their cause. As we covered this, uh, I think back in in November, um, Change the title, call it something different. It, the the goal remains the same. So you folks in Colorado, uh, get on it. Be be aware. Activate your uh, your community, and um, you know, advocate for science based management, not not this emotional argument and and assigning special treatment of aesthetically pleasing fur bears or over other managed species just
3: because. Uh, Well, just because. Good luck in Colorado. Let's uh, let's head down in the
2: Mid-Atlantic. My colleague there, Kaylee Leaguer, she was uh, able to present Executive Council Member State Senator Jack Bailey an award at the 20th Annual NASC Sportsman Legislator, Legislator Summit. Senator Bailey was a co-sponsor on Senate Bill 327 which created access to additional funding to be used by the general public for hunting, established a fund for R3 programs, established a sikk deer conservation stamp, increased hunting license fees to expand wildlife management and access. The legislation passed both chambers with bipartisan support and was signed into law by Governor Wes Moore on May 8th of 2023 and took effect on July 1 of the same year. Senator Bailey also authored and introduced Maryland Senate Bill 422, which created a special non-lapsing fund to further manage black bass, large and smallmouth bass, that also includes voluntary donations. The legislation passed both chambers unanimously It was signed into law by the governor of Maryland, Governor Westmore, in May and then took effect in October of 2023. One more highlight for Senator Bailey is he introduced Senate Bill 10, which requires the Maryland DNR to create digital hunting licenses with certain digital stamps and permits. The legislation passed both chambers unanimously and was signed into law by the governor on May 8th and took effect July will take effect on July first of this very new year, twenty twenty four. It was great to see Senator Bailey and uh, Kaylee share the stage, present that award at what was a very successful NAS summit down there in, in Dewey Beach, Delaware. Like like you've heard, for the last couple episodes, there's great enthusiasm and energy coming out of those, uh, coming out of that event. So um, you know. Certainly didn't slow down there. It was it was a well deserved honor. Going down to Virginia, uh, a couple new sportsman caucus leaders added. So in December, Delegate Betsy Carr and Delegate Buddy Fowler were confirmed as new co-chairs of the Virginia Legislative Sportsman's Caucus. Delegate Carr and Delegate Fowler take over the leadership positions on the caucus from Delegate James Edmonds and Senator Emmett Hanger, who did not seek re-election in 2023. Delegate Carr, a Democrat, and Delegate Fowler, a Republican, will lead the meetings and guide policy priorities for the bipartisan bicameral caucus. CSF would like to extend our sincere gratitude to Delegate Edmonds and Senator Hanger, Hanger, excuse me, for their years of leadership and outstanding service to the sportsmen and women of the Commonwealth. Welcome aboard to the two new deli- uh, new uh, co-chairs. It looks like Virginia is anticipating a very busy legislative session, uh, as most of us are. Some anticipated legislation in, in the new year are going to be around uh, MSRs, suppressors, uh, Medhaden management, predator hunting, hunting with hounds, trapping, Knife definitions, sportsmen's access, and conservation funding. So having that new leadership in place will uh, certainly help CSF's cause and, and certainly our team on the ground there in Virginia looks forward to working with the caucus and conservation partners to ensure the voice of Virginia sportsmen and women are well represented at the State House. Heading over to Oklahoma. The Oklahoma Department of Wildlife and Conservation recently proposed a regulatory change to expand the use of the state's, uh, in, into the state's muzzleloader season for arrow shooting air guns. Certainly no uh, no lack of controversy within our, our space, but the interesting wrinkle here is that Oklahoma is putting this in their muzzleloader season, primitive type season. So, Certainly no, uh, no, no affront to your traditional uh, bow hunters, up-and-down tackle, and so on. The arrow-shooting guns were legalized during Oklahoma's firearm deer season, uh, thanks to the Oklahoma Legislative Sportsman's Caucus in 2022. Since that time, there's been calls for expanded use of arrow-shooting air guns, During other deer hunting seasons, recognizing that arrow shooting air guns are not archery equipment, the staff at the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation balanced these calls with the need to protect the integrity of our outdoor sporting heritage by proposing the regulation changes that would allow the arrow shooting air guns to be used during Oklahoma's muzzleloader season. I think everyone wins. What's need of note here? uh, What Oklahoma also did here is um, they instituted a one-time stamp uh, to be able to use this equipment because currently these uh, these arrow guns are not subject to the same excise taxes on other hunting equipment. So by having the stamp in place, still able to fund conservation efforts, um, and not lack, not lack on those uh, much-needed PR dollars that, uh, that so many states that we all depend on. For additional information on air guns and arrow-shooting air guns, you can visit our CSF issue brief on our website and learn more there. Lastly, let's go up uh, to my area of the country, in the northeast, the last two states with outright Sunday hunting prohibitions see cautious optimism, and I say cautious. I stress that. So, a couple of things at play here: uh, Massachusetts and Maine are the only two states that remain completely shut off to any sort of Sunday hunting. Right. So, late last year, we CSF submitted testimony in support of a suite of House and Senate bills that. Uh, Sent to the Massachusetts Joint Committee on Environmental and Natural Resources. Um, many of these attempted to offer compromise, getting some rollbacks for Sunday hunting. Some of them were specific to deer season, using archery equipment, and so on. There's a lot of opportunity here to have um, that bipartisan support for everyone to kind of come to the table. There was some. There was. Uh, some distance um, restrictions that that we're getting. um, It's coming to me here. They're going to allow archers, you know, from uh, elevated platforms, uh, shorter restriction, uh, distance restrictions, and then that played into some Sunday hunting opportunities. There's a ton, ton going on in Massachusetts, and this, this all came on the heels of the... The firearm hearing, the anti-firearm hearing that was held right before the thanks, right after Thanksgiving holiday, and then the next day they had what they termed uh, Wildlife Day or something of that effect, and it was an all-day marathon hearing on all these bills important to the sporting community of, of, of Massachusetts. Many of them, I will say, were positive. I mean, again, highlighting these ones here with the opportunity to bring some sort of Sunday hunting to the table. Uh, There were a couple that outright repealed um, the ban on Sunday hunting. So we're waiting in this new legislative session to hopefully get some traction on this and get some results out of this. But uh, we did engage on that late last year. And then in Maine, you have the passage of the Food Sovereignty Act. Now, that amended the state constitution of Maine. And it's been challenged at the state Supreme Court, and early fall, mid-fall, the state Supreme Court went on a, a tour of, of Maine different high schools. and A lot of youngsters got to see civics in action as, as the court discussed certain cases, and, and among those was, was a challenge brought about by uh, Virginia and Joel Parker of Redfield, Maine. And basically, that was saying that with the, the amendment to the main state constitution with the Food Sovereignty Act, that a, a prohibition on Sunday hunting limits the ability for substance hunting. So there was a dialogue there, and then the, the court ticked it around and had good arguments on it. And again, hoping here in the first quarter... Of this new year to gauge if uh, you know they set us a, a decisions forthcoming. We anticipate that coming. I, I hope here in the next uh, couple months. But uh, as soon as we find out more on that, we will update that. But again, cautious, cautious optimism here in the Northeast. Hoping something moves on on both of these. It would be great to see at least one of these states come through and, and create more opportunity for their their citizens. With that. That wraps up the first TSV round of 2024. Let's get into this week's show. Stand by. All right, on this first edition of the Sportsman's Voice podcast in 2024, uh, we're going to, again, hang out back at, at our NAS Summit towards the end of 2023. Again, I, I, I've told y'all we got so much great content, so many worthwhile conversations we want to bring to you. So we're going to kick this year off uh, with a special sit-down that we did with our executive council uh, president and past presidents for the National Assembly Sportsmen's Caucuses. We're going to bring you through the history of, of NASC. And it's pretty awesome. I mean, what started so many years ago was an idea. I mean, 50 states now have sportsmen's Caucuses under the NASC network. And all 50 of them, as you've heard in the last couple episodes, we represented in Dewey Beach, Delaware. It's fantastic, and this is powerful. This is a powerful voice for sportsmen and women all across this country, across the ocean to Hawaii, and then up the west coast of Alaska. Huge, huge deal. We're going to be joined by Senator Robin Webb, Brian White out of South Carolina, Senator Webb out of Kentucky, and then current Executive, Executive Council President from my home state of New Hampshire, Representative Jeff Goley. I'm going to get y'all a history lesson on NASC. Again, the, the genesis of it, uh, the initial aspirations, present day, and then and some, some goals and, and aspirations for the future. And, and I, I will tell you, I, I come away from that summit uh, enthusiastic, reinvigorated uh, to see folks in positions of leadership. That are able to affect change and, and, and excited to work uh, with our team and our partners. It's a big deal. So let's sit down with Senator Webb, Rep Goley, Mr. White. Let's go. Tell where you're from. <laughs> can't add yours, ma'am. <laughs> oh, very well. Well, we are, we have the pleasure of being joined by, uh, Two of our past Executive Council Presidents and current Executive Council, President Jeff Goley, Brian White of South Carolina, and Senator Robin Webb of Kentucky. Thank you all so much. This is a, it's been a busy day and I appreciate you guys uh, taking some of your personal time to join us for this EC President's Roundtable.
1: Thanks for having us. Yep.
2: How are we finding the, the summit thus far? First, first real day of getting into it.
3: I think it was uh, tremendous. I mean, to start off the morning having the chair of the board of Congressional Sportsman Foundation, Richard Childress, on hand and speaking to the caucus was uh, a great treat. I mean, it was an honor to have him here and attending the summit.
1: And it's the second largest in number of attendees and uh, states represented and we're competing, you know, with not only the holidays but the council state governments meeting in North yes. Carolina and and it's a busy time of year and this is a great venue little Wendy but uh we've got a good good crowd and good national representation.
2: Yeah, know all 50 states represented here this week and um what did what did they say 16 state agencies are here on hand? 16 state agencies
3: and eight directors I believe.
2: and yeah. yeah, that's great. That's that's real good. So we're able to, you know, have this you know, focused, quiet time to work with state legislators, directors of, of agencies, and just really have those candid conversations and work to get stuff done as we get into 2024. So it's a, it's a great opportunity, I'm glad we're all here. Um, so at this roundtable, my goal here was to kind of let our audience know, our, our TSV audience understand how the NASC uh, became, what it is and where, you know, where it came from, and where we are presently today, and then your experiences as EC
3: presidents. I would defer to Senator Webb yes. as to how it started, as she was right here when the call began.
1: It started uh, with the Vitla Vision, a couple of folks sitting around, of course, uh, having the the success of the relatively newly minted Congressional Sportsman's Caucus and Foundation, and they saw the need to perhaps uh, have a little sibling in, in, with the states. and and I know uh, we had there was a couple meetings, uh, and then I guess the first organized official meeting was in Texas. I was uh, happy to be a part of that, along with the first president, President John Assel from Maryland. And we had a core group of just a few states and big dreams of having all fifty. And it, it's taken us uh, a while to achieve that, but it certainly was was a vision. And based on the success of the Congressional Sportsmen's Caucus, which is the largest. Uh, nonpartisan. I'd rather say non than bipartisan because it's really nonpartisan.
2: I would. I would agree. Uh, and,
1: and and I think that was certainly um, what started it. And and the leadership of Jeff Crane and Brad Rouse and others that were involved at that time. So uh, we're we're very happy to have been a part of that. And it looks like I'm the elder stateswoman here or something with this cruise, <laughs> <laughs> Mr.
2: White. How how was your experience? What what was your tenure like, and when was it? It was good. Uh, A couple of years ago, I was served on the EC
0: for, I can't remember how long, but uh, president for two years. And just like Robin said, you know, just watching all this stuff from where it was to where it is today, uh, watching it grow has has been fascinating because there's really not a lot of places. We do a lot of the other type uh, conferences and everything else as far as Elected officials go, but this is one where you actually have the state agencies are here, and some of the directors they get to share in uh, their thoughts on outdoor issues. You have the legislators that you know make policy that affects it as well, uh, and then you have the industry partners are also here. Mm-hmm. So then you get the you know they get to say their say on kind of the effects and, and have some input uh, in a relaxed, casual setting, uh, unlike you know you wouldn't have to come do. It'll be sorted for testimony or anything else. You can just get together to share ideas, and that's what I've always enjoyed about it. Um, And I think it's very important, and obviously others do too because it's grown to Uh where it is because of that.
1: We drive uh, leadership uh, staff crazy, but the sidebars that occur after the meetings and around the meetings are sometimes very important. Mm -hmm. These guests that have to go in and out, and and there's just a lot of – networking and, and relationships that are formed because of uh, having people like minded individuals focusing on on issues that they are passionate about.
2: You mentioned that, you know, you guys when you first started out and started organizing the the big goal was to eventually get where we're at with all fifty states. But in the first years, you know, what were what were some of the aspirations and really moving it forward that, you know, got people excited about it and recruited. You
1: know, when you're a legislator, and especially like us, a part time legislators that have a full obligations, whether it's budget. You know, Brian, uh, Brian was chair of A and R uh, committee. I was uh, a vice chair of A and R committee. I mean, other things consume your time mm-hmm. so much, and we weren't an anomaly there. But just getting people uh, aware that we existed getting them to come together as a caucus, reaching out to the non-traditional sportsmen and women in our caucuses to try to have diversity and and opportunities for them to hold a rod and and a reel, you know, or a firearm in their hand. And those were some challenges. Then you have, you know, the natural barriers of of time, scheduling, and creating something new in a pretty— Predictable environment of your state legislatures with your existing committees and task forces and things and and to bring that in to get funding to to build uh, uh, alliances with not only your departments sometimes they get but they were a little territorial in the beginning they questioned our motives they didn't like the legislative you know their executive branch function and our legislative branch function there was some yeah. apprehension there, so we had to uh, bridge build those bridges so um and then the public uh, and some of the stakeholders, it, it, we just it, bringing those folks together uh, was not always easy. And in different, varied interests, just like you know, running running the department or running legislation now. But uh, those were some of the challenges. And then some states, you know, you had huge anti-use, anti-hunting, fishing contingencies and presence there from a lobby standpoint. So we were also fighting some of that. And that.
3: I will say some of the states, as, as we're working on the 50 states and going about reaching out and making our, you know, some of us here, we traveled from state to state trying to bring these states on. I was fortunate enough to go with Brent Miller down to uh, Rhode Island and meet down there with the, we get to meet with uh, both leaders in the House, the Democrat minority leader, majority leader. And we actually even got to meet in the speaker's office, Mm. uh, talk to the speaker about the caucus. And one of the challenging things you find out when you're looking at this is each state is different on how they recognize caucuses and how their bylaws have to go and what they do. Mm. Um, So that was very challenging as to how you went and did it. Um, Some had to be recognized by the House and the Senate themselves. Some had to be recognized by the speaker, by leadership whether it was formal, informal. So that, that was challenging in getting the 50 states. Um, that was my experience. It, it was fun to go down there, and finally when they signed on, it was yeah. a little lift off your chest. Yeah. We accomplished that.
1: Ours was created in statute, and I would recommend that for any, any state that can do that and get that pulled off, because then it's a statutory caucus. It's not can come and go at just a one-month particular leader. Or- uh-huh.
0: Yeah, we were the same way. And another one that, you know, once you get a state's leadership, uh, I guess, convinced that they need a sportsman's caucus, because some of them are like, well, we don't, why do we need one? We don't have any problems. Yeah. You know, we, you know, I don't know why we need to do that. Uh, once they get over that and have an aha moment, oh, this is bigger because you've got the conservation because being the anti's, they can be either good or bad in the conservation community. Um, and then. Realizing that, okay, well, we maybe we do need a organization like this to help us. Uh, Once you do that and you get them to one of these uh, meetings, they're hooked. I mean, it's it's done. It sells itself. So it's it's an easy sell if you can get them there and get them convinced. Hey, maybe we do need to have this in our state. Yeah.
2: Oftentimes, when you have organizations and groups like this, the individual is motivated by something. Something is either stood out in your life or just there's, there's this internal thing, I have to be involved in this because I care about X. What, what was your moment, each of you, that, that came to you that said, this happened and because of it, I need to be involved with this? I'll start with you, center web.
1: Well, I grew up in it. My father uh, served under I eight or nine governors as uh, our district fish and life commissioner. I was going to sportsmen's meetings and events from the time I could talk and walk. And um, it's, it's kind of a legacy thing with me. And you, 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 heard, you heard that a lot today with the people that are running for, for office here. And uh, other than the legacy uh, part of it, it's, um, I was exposed to hunting, fishing at a very early age. And, and that's where I feel more at peace. And that's where I feel closer to God. And I feel bel- like I belong. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, you know that motivates it. Whatever your passion is or your favorite thing to do. I, I think you feel that our culture is changing and the demographics changing, the generation away from the farm and the field is something that we've got to pay attention to if we want to keep and preserve our present model of funding and the opportunities we have now. And that kind of ties in also to the legacy part of it.
3: Uh-huh. I, I look at, New Hampshire joined early on, I believe, 2006, we became part of the organization. and. From there, I became co-chair back in 2011. And looking at why we do it in New Hampshire, uh, New Hampshire House is 400 members. Mm-hmm. And you look at the makeup of the house in New Hampshire, and you look around, and it's a true volunteer legislature. We get paid $100 a year, and the majority of the people in the house don't hunt or fish. No. And it's important to reach out to those individuals. And the only way you can do it is through an organization like this. Form a caucus. Have your co-chairs so you can get your message across to the rest of your uh, seatmates in in the house. Um, And it's been beneficial. We've had a lot of folks join that don't hunt, don't fish, but are passionate and they like learning about what we do.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's, it's perfect. It's a lot of what my aha moment was, you know, whenever I joined, uh, I grew up hunting and fishing. I grew up on the lake and my Saturdays were spent behind a bird dog, uh, growing up and that doesn't exist much anymore. Uh, all our quail are gone mm-hmm. in South Carolina for the most part, unless you have the put outs and that's just not quail hunting. Um, and seeing what we were doing in the legislature with other things, as far as A lot of the conservationists putting land aside, but wasn't allowing the public to have access. Mm. If you don't have access, we can't do the things we like to do. That's right. Uh, So mine came in behind a lot of, you know, we need access. We need more public lands. Uh, It needs to be affordable. And that's part of the problem you have now in some of these folks coming in, you know, want to change different ammunitions to make it more expensive. So Mm -hmm. it drives people out. But we get the opportunity as, as members of sportsmen's caucus to really dig down a little deeper in the issues and get the industry on our side. And you come, come back with, you know, knowledge and some backup. You're not just making stuff up, which sometimes happens in politics. <laughs> um, so then you can explain, well, you understand the taxes that are associated with this. You understand the jobs that are associated with this. So, you know, you may be recruiting a, a manufacturing company. Well, you might want to recruit three more because you're about to put these out. And when you put these out, then you got to make up for somewhere mm-hmm. to do things. So I, I like it. For that reason, you can tie all that together and explain it a little bit better to show them, you know, the benefits of a sportsman's caucus, the benefits of being outdoors. I mean, South Carolina, I think we got 26, 27 boat manufacturers. Wow. Just boats. So a lot of people say, so well, I just, I like to go out on the water. Well, okay, well. About fishing. Well, yeah, I like to fish too. Well, here's all your taxes. Yep. Here's where it goes. Here's what's happening. You're know, like, oh, wow. You know, I didn't realize that. So you get, you get the educational component Jeff talked about. You get to educate people, not only legislators, uh, but the general public about how important this is and what, what the real meaning is. It's not just a bunch of people in camo out there with guns, yeah. you know, trying to kill stuff. And that, that's why I have one of these all y'all do is murder those poor animals. And I said, ma'am, no, we don't. We're, we're probably the most ethical people as far as taking animals that you want to have, people that are actually murder the ones that run over them in a car and leave them laying there. I said, so you've got, you've got some issues. He mm-hmm. said, so I'd rather have
2: harvested the right way and feed my family than do it another way. Yeah, sure. I, I, I want to come back to the funding conversation because I think it's an important one to have and to hear your perspectives. But I, I want to quickly get to and have you all expound on this, the strength this podcast audience has heard me say it every episode and will continue throughout this week. The strength of this organization is what, how did you term it Senator Webb? Not bipartisan.
1: It's nonpartisan.
2: Nonpartisan.
1: It's subject matter oriented. And then all the incidentals that flow from the subject matter of hunting, fishing, license sales, trapping, uh, because there are much incidental, uh, Spaces that you get, uh, whether it's bird watching, to kayaking, to sightseeing, to elk viewing, all of those things come back to actual licenses, which is funding. But uh, certainly, you know, that, that's a component. And, the, you know, you just can't take, take anything for granted. Those of us in the South, as Brian alluded to, you know, oh, we don't have a problem. You know, we, we do what we want. We got the right to hunt and fish. And then you start seeing that eroded by seemingly innocuous bills or about dogs, uh-huh. or about ammunition, or about access. And uh, you know, this organization uh, is an educational tool.
2: Yeah. And, it, and because of everyone being able to come together and put R's, D's, I's, L's aside and just focus on the passion that we all share, it's, a, it's why it works. It's why we're the, the, the biggest caucus going and have the most... People and
1: add to that. I hate to interject, but no, it's please. so important because what we see in our respective sportsmen's caucuses are those relationships and nonpartisan, bipartisan conversations, and getting to know your colleagues the way it used to be yeah. before politics got so divisive. That we work together on other issues. There is a positive spillover in governance overall because of this caucus.
2: hundred a- percent. And you know, I have remarked, and not Representative Goldie's heard me say this too that. It would not be a terrible strategy for someone looking to get elected or for a re-election to engage the sporting community, because of that ability to all speak the same language and it bridges those gaps and takes away the divisiveness. It, it, it even, you know, I'm a New Hampshire resident too. So when I say back home, when you used to go back home and you talk to someone that's, a, you know, a Democrat, a liberal, and you find out that they they hunt, or they fish, or they recreationally shoot, like. A lot of people are like, holy smokes, you're you a white whale. Well, actually, they're not. And, and all the ancillary stuff, be damned, focus on what we get. And we do so much. And imagine people sitting down having a drink together, being friends.
3: There, there is no R&D in this.
2: Exactly right. Just O's outdoors. <laughs> yes. Yes. That needs to be a T-shirt. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to run that through development. I'll make that T-shirt.
0: And, and that's what we are here for, is everything we do is about the outdoors. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you'll find out the icebreakers when somebody's like, oh, you're, you know, oh, you like the fish, you know? Yeah. We got something in common.
2: Yeah. And we can build off that. You get a lot of stuff done off of that. I have some very dear friends that are 180 degrees different from me, but we don't, we don't focus on that. We talk about their bird dogs and chasing woodcock in New Hampshire or, you know, running hounds for, for bear, uh, you know, in Maine, but, these are things that, it, 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 it's, it's you hear it all the time, but here's things we used to do. We used to be able to sit down at a, at a table like we are and just talk as human beings, as neighbors. There, there wasn't this hyper-focus on labels.
1: Civil discourse, you know, is something that, I, and I always refer back to even the Constitution, you know, it, short of dueling i mean it was pretty contentious yeah those guys ended up reaching a compromise which was not a bad word because that great experiments worked for over 200 years Mm -hmm. so you know if there's a value in being able to have civil discourse whether you agree or not oh
2: because we all bring something to the table just because we're we've got the horse blinders on and think one certain way there's so much value in hearing a new idea whether you think you like it or not right away sitting on it and you can come up, like you said, compromise. You come up with a really good idea. I want to go back to the funding uh, talking point because I think that's one of the most understated and least told stories that as an entire community, so all the species-specific groups, the 2A the groups, we do a terrible job historically of telling this story. And you, and you guys started naming them off, Pittman Robinson, Dingle Johnson, these funding mechanisms that we... The sporting community raised our hand almost 100 years ago on one of them and said, well, we'll sport the load. We'll we'll put it on our back and do it because we see the value. And because at the turn of the century, almost every species was extrapolated from the landscape, except South Carolina. You guys still have the turkey, thank goodness. Um, and marquee hunting was, was put to bed and, and you know, leadership saw it. We like, were doing a terrible thing. And we took that forward and said, okay, even though we're one of the smallest constituencies, we, we have a funding mechanism and we're happy to do it. Fast forward, again, almost 100 years, here we are, and no one knows this story except us because we talk about it together, but getting it out there to the general public or even in your caucuses when you recruit new people that aren't sportsmen and women, that's one heck of a thing to lead off with.
3: And you look at it, and that's, I mean, a huge issue because. You want to talk about land conservation and where the money's coming from for the state agencies to go out and purchase those pieces of property to put in conservation. And that's not just for sporting. That's for your bird watchers, your animal watchers. That's open land for the public. And that's coming out of dollars and cents from us, Mm -hmm. from our constituents, from our anglers, hunters, and those folks. Um, And most people don't understand that.
1: But historically, I think there's a reason for that not being talked about a lot. Because okay. Because you, 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 when you deal with money in the, like the state budget or federal budget, you know it, it's a good, well-kept kind of secret. It's our thing. We don't want to advertise it too much because then everybody will be wanting a piece of it. And I think that could be part of where we are. But, you know, it, it does need to be told as the demographic shifts because it reaches far more people and just hunters and anglers and and more important than um to me than the funding model is the north american model Mm -hmm. and if we don't start telling that story you have uh certain ideologies now that we're seeing and even in kentucky that don't think uh you think you should hunt and fish and don't don't value the contribution that licenses make. I mean, we don't have general fund dollars going into our agency. It's, it's a license base and tax base, uh, and we can't support that North American model without these funding mechanisms. And without the North American model, you know, it didn't work out too well. Like you said, we, we had species annihilation. So uh, those stories have to be told together. Yeah,
2: I, I, I think that's a reasonable.
3: And I think that's an important point, Robin. When you said that, I mean a lot of states, especially New Hampshire as well, don't receive general fund money from the federal government. It's all on licensing and. But if and, and to your
2: earlier point, if if it, it's a kept secret, but if any entity in your local state government tried to defer any of that money, then it's an automatic exemption, and no one would get that. So they couldn't pilfer that fund. It is very specific for its use and its intended. Distribution
1: from trying. I've been doing. Yeah, no, I'm sure they've been doing this 25 years. and Every time the state hits a rub spot, (laughs) you're on that you know, mitigation money or fees in lieu of money or federal money somewhere, and you have to go tell them uh, and make the case. I mean, people don't understand. Even people serving in Mm -hmm. those capacities don't understand uh, the fund and the nexus to everything else.
2: Representative Golly will tell you they even our little. Agency, they stick their hand in that cookie jar quite a bit. It's like, you can't have that.
3: And I, I think this is a good segue to go into, while states like to exempt individuals for licensing, yeah, um, we're starting to hear about the ramifications uh-huh. of having free licenses, um, because we know all that federal money comes on how many license sales you have in a year, when you can't account for those free licenses, you're losing out on a lot of money. That's right. That's a great uh, point. People look at us as legislators when we say we want to charge a fee for a certain group of individuals and no longer give a free license. We come out as the bad apples. Right. But in return, we're trying to get three, four, five to one matching funds from the federal government back to the st- agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not doing a disservice to those groups of individuals it's actually doing a big service to those folks, getting these matching funds to help out.
0: Yeah, you're right. And, and it's always a, a push from some group. Uh, you know, once, once the door's open, they all come running through. Uh, they all have their cause and then you're the bad guy uh-huh. uh, if, you, if you don't do it. You know, it's like all the c- senior citizens that got me. They say, well, we're on a fixed income. I'm like, yeah, I wish I were. You know, I'm in sales, <laughs> you know? So it's, um, I'd love to have a fixed income, yeah. you know? It's, it, uh so it's 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 to that point, you know, you you got to learn to plan and budget and do things, but it's it's like you know, like Jeff said, everybody seems to want a free license. Mm-hmm. Um and nothing is free in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh it has a cost, maybe not to you, but it has a cost on on the mission of the outdoors. Uh and like in South Carolina, a lot of what we need to start considering is different states are now putting um these conservation lands back. We spend more for a conservation bank to take Lands off uh, public access mm. or private ownership, then we fund our Department of Natural Resources. Wow! So it's a little bass awkward yeah. What we're doing, um, and things are beginning to happen like that because you have those folks that never hunted, they didn't fish, but they think, oh gosh, we got to save the green space. Right? We'll take better care of your green space than I'm sorry some of these other groups. Yeah, uh, and allow people to come on it, and we can we can manage it. We can do the things we need to, versus just letting it sit there. What? Uh, that's very important to have a good management plan, and I think that's something that you know, I think this organization eventually get into is bring in management groups to talk to us about how important that is. We have some groups come in and talk, but I mean that's where we, we have to get to this younger generation, and I think the collegiate group is is fairly important. Mm-hmm. Hard to get off the ground. Uh, it's getting there. I've been working with a, a little technical college in South Carolina. I don't know if Isabella mentioned that this morning or not, but oh my heavens to get a meeting with, you know, folks within the higher ed community to That's find, a task. To, to find someone to be a sponsor. Well, the, you have, it's, it's worse than government. I mean, i pass <laughs> bills a whole lot easier than these, these, things. So it's, you know, it's very frustrating, but um, I like the community college side. I told Isabella that it's like, these folks are going to stay here. You know, everybody at Clemson sure. or USC or Kentucky or you know, New Hampshire, they're going to graduate, probably go somewhere else. And, and they do. And, and with UNH, so, so it's too competitive. In we can, we can work on focus on this little smaller group. And, and I love, you know, I, this little college is the only one that basically I think that I know of that you bring a gun on campus because we have a gunsmithing school. So sure. it's, it's pretty rare people come in from all over. It's like, okay, we're out in the, well, we got more trees than people in our, our, uh, area. So it's those kind of things we got to work on, but it's, it's just, you gotta be persistent. You can't give up. It's almost mm-hmm. like getting the states on, you know, once you get them to the table, you got them,
2: but it's, it takes a lot of work to get them to. I'm uh, um, getting back to your reimbursement topic. You know, it, we have at CSF, we have modeling, we have model language, we, we have a solve for that. So if, you know, if, if a legislator is hearing this podcast and you're very curious about that, uh, we can certainly help and engage on that and provide uh, for that solve. Because it, like you said, to all three of your point, no one likes to hear that we turn down, a legislator turned down veteran uh, free licenses. There's this terrible PR and you, there's no way you can step out of that hole. Um, but again, with, with education and and an alternative, you know, to, to fund that. Yeah. There's a, there's a possibility there. Um, I want to ask you all individually, uh, during your tenure as uh, executive council president for NASC, do you have one or two, um, wins, uh, goals that you had that came to fruition, or maybe a surprise that just came about that you can look back on and really champion?
1: We've had a lot of successes, mm-hmm. and it's hard to just it. And when you've been doing it as long as I have, like twenty years, it all runs together. I don't remember if we did things when I was president or not, but you know, I we've done a lot.
2: Maybe better let's qualify. Let's let's not make it so dialed in. Is there just one or two that really stand out to you over your tenure? Well,
1: keeping me involved for helping my state, I'm going to be a little selfish and say, you know, our elk project and and we just uh, acquired thousands of acres with Virginia and Tennessee to do a major project. Uh, and I was there when I was a not, you know, yet very young you, legislator turning elk out, the first ones out, their little wobbly legs and frees. And now we've got populations, we've got tag sales, we've got a herd, and we've got an expansion. So that, keeping me involved to that level, is this organization helped Kentucky just in that. Mm-hmm. And nationally, I think we have fought off. We've turned the tide on. Uh, Any time we beat we beat an anti bill, and when when I first got involved, I mean there was a lot more anti bills winning than there are now. So every victory that that we have to uh, promote hunting, fishing, trapping, Second Amendment rights, and a legacy for our cultural heritage is a win. And, and it's hard to pick out one, that just Beating, playing defense is what I do best in my legislature, and what we've done good on the national level.
0: How about you, Brian. I don't know if there was any one thing you could, because we kind of do it as a group. Uh-huh. I mean, it's a group effort. Um, you know, that's a great thing about the EC and and NASC is you know Jeff's up in the Northeast, he's working you know doing doing things within Rhode Island. Robins in the Midwest. You you got on help West Virginians, but so it's kind of As president, I guess you don't, I didn't look at it as being president. I was just part of the group. Sure. Um, And, you know, one thing I did have staffs wonderful, you're talking about it, is, you know, as a president, I had that aha moment. I think y'all made a PowerPoint slide and stuff for me. You may still have it. Hope you do. To get back to that Pittman Robertson Uh uh, talk when you go out to civic groups. You know, and, and I did a couple of those and just asked and raise hands if you got a hunter fishing license, you know, very few would. And then just like, well, thank you for being a conservationist. Yeah, And then that got other people spark, very interest sparked. And then we go into explaining the history of the North American model, how it all works. And they are like, oh wow. We had no idea. We were clueless. Um, so that was, a, you know, something that was developed at, but, but other than that, it's just, it's a fun group of, uh, men and women. Uh, you just, and it's a, it's a, it was a joy to lead it and I was honored to do it. Uh, putting the conventions together is a little work, but, uh, (laughs) but beyond that, it, uh, that, that, I guess that's the one thing probably as president that you are you know, it's like, okay, we gotta, you gotta navigate the ship or wherever it's going to go for the next, next annual meeting. So that's kind of the, uh, but other than that, it did, it didn't seem like work. It's fun off. Um, you know, it's just. When you do what you love, it's not work. There you
1: go. Setting the agenda, I, I, that's something I forgot about, and Brian kind of jogged me on that, is I, always, I still enjoy uh, setting the agenda because what's timely, what's important, what people need to hear, and that, that's very fluid. So I think the agenda of these meetings is very, very important. Mm.
2: Mr.
3: President? I mean, being in the position for a year now, I just look at, and being on the council, the number of years I've been on, is where we are and where we're going. And we've got to a point where now we have all 50 states, but our work's not done. Mm -hmm. We have 2,600-plus members, in the caucuses, legislators. And I look at it as we need to continue that growing and getting more folks involved and to continue to grow that number of folks in caucuses. I look at one of the places we are now is, and I've said this a few times just in the past couple of days, is I think we're finally transitioning from defense and we're able to get to a little offense. On legislation, and it's because of this group that we're able to do.
2: It. Yeah. And as we'll see uh, tomorrow in our in our breakout session, so those stats are going to bear fruit. There, you're going to see that you know we're we're on the positive side of of you know our wins, you know, and in some that's cases two to one, and that's great because speaking for the Northeast, it's a not uh, it's not a very friendly place to be with on these issues. And we are challenged constantly, uh, much like the Northwest.
1: But we're to them and we know their strategy. Yeah. We study them. We can tell you what a, a seemingly innocuous bill is going to do to uh-huh. undermine your rights.
2: Uh-huh. That's exactly right. It, Representative Gulley, you just mentioned about the work continues and growing and, and certainly the challenges we see out in the field is, is continuing to build our state uh, caucuses and getting uh, good bipartisan uh, co-chairs on there. It's important to have that. It communicates so many things, but it does become a challenge in certain areas. What what's your what's your I guess elevator pitch or you know what's your when you're talking to people at these meetings? How can we get more people to be involved and be active, not just not just a name on a roster? It, it
3: goes back to a. We've said it many times, we've said it over and over, that the R's and D's are checked at the door when you come in. And that catches a lot of people. As we hear across the country, it gets more divisive. People are looking for an out of that and into something else that they can really be passionate about and gather with folks and actually talk about an issue that you're interested in. And if you, even if you don't know anything about it, You're there to learn and listen, and the more you meet and the more you reach out and you talk to people, they become more involved. I host events when we host events and do a luncheon. We have the director of fishing game come, his staff come and talk policy issues, and the individuals that come to the luncheon don't hunt, don't fish, but they leave there. Thanking me for having them because they didn't know about it, mm-hmm. and they you know learned something from that, and they're looking forward to being more involved. Um, so I think you know by doing that, you get the message out to your colleagues.
0: Any thoughts there? No, he's exactly right. I mean, you you got to you got to educate yeah. those that don't know, and you sometimes it's harder to educate those that think they know. <laughs> Um. Also, so you got a little <laughs> bit on the, on both sides of the, there. So Basically,
1: as legislators, because we think we know a little.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and um. So it's so. It, but once you get the overall mission is the outdoors. Who doesn't like the outdoors? You know, and we're here to protect it uh, and what's in it with you know, and do things in a in a responsible, ethical manner uh, for outdoors. And once they realize, oh, that's what you're doing. You know. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, So then you can get them in, and then you can educate them when the legislation comes up. And then you start
2: building trust and relationships, and then it just kind of works itself. What do you think about the strategy? And, I mean, and this is coming to me in real time as you're talking, because we always will, will say, you know, engage with your, your local legislator. The, the, the onus becomes on... The constituency and the people in our community. I, I, I'm repetitive in this on the show. It takes very little to look up who your representative is, who's your state senator in your district. At least learn their names. And we always say, reach out to them, introduce yourself, get, get something out of them. But now I'm wondering if there's a strategy that, you know, as caucus members, we try to recruit, as staff, we try to recruit and work with you guys. But I think it'd be an interesting wrinkle if our sportsmen's community, our rod and gun clubs, our fishing clubs, our shooting clubs, they started learning who's in their area, reach out to them and say, hey, it would be really awesome if you were part of Insert Your State Sportsman's Caucus. It would speak a lot to us if you're not already, and hearing that from their their voters. I think there's power in that.
3: I will say, and I've been trying to work my way around in New Hampshire on this issue because I look at it, we had an issue come in with um, rabbits, rabbit hunting, and the dog training. Oh, yes. The catch of rabbits. And the only ones involved were those who were active Mm -hmm. with dogs. and, And I reached out to a couple of the other organizations out there, whether it be Trot Unlimited, whether it was the Trappers, or any other group. and telling them that numbers count. While this issue may not affect you right now, it can snowball down to what you're really interested in. So all these groups, when a piece of legislation comes out attacking a certain sport industry or sport group, you all need to come together. Uh Because if you don't, once they get in and attack one group, they're not stopping there. It's going to be coming after... The next group. Uh-huh. Um, and so my, my biggest pet peeve with these organizations is don't get into a riffle, a rife, or any. You ought to all be out there working on the same issue, yeah. pro sportsmen.
2: There's not enough of us to eat each other, and Lord it's knows we did. The old
1: divide and conquer and, and planting the seed and, and then watching that fracture, and it ha- sometimes we're own worst enemy, And as far as I think the, the caucuses themselves can foster those relationships. I've got a list of most of our stakeholders. It's hard to keep up with who's leading them. It's hard to keep that list yeah. current. So keep your list current. Uh, get to your caucus shares. We've had a couple sportsmen's days at the Capitol. I invite stakeholders to some of our caucus luncheons or informative sessions during the session to get them in at the Capitol, and, and there might be a lot of orange and camo a, a couple of days, you know, and I, I've had governors that have actually supported that in the past. And, and that's just kind of nice to feel like they've got a say and skin in the game. Uh, but more and more with social media and the Internet and the opportunity for misinformation, yeah. you know, we've got a lot of division on certain issues that just a lot of them aren't even real, not real issues. Of course, uh, a lot of, some people are sitting back and taking great delight when they see sportsmen going at each other's throat in mm-hmm. those groups, so I think um, I've tried to mediate certain issues among sportsmen, had some limited success through the years, bringing them together in, in a closed sitting and, and getting a resolution on a piece of legislation or regulation or a season or whatever the case may be. But we've got to do more of that and less um, Throwing rocks on the internet the some things mm. you usually don't know what you're talking about don't go, go to us as policy or legislators if I've got a bill come to me and I will talk to you about that the impact of that the intention of that and if I'm wrong I'll change it but do it with respect and do it uh, civilly and and with a, a, a positive dialogue yeah. if you're communicating with your electeds
2: yeah yeah there you get more milk uh, more results with honey than vinegar right the old saying there no one likes being berated on email or uh, voicemail, you know, and unfortunately, within politics now and the way they're doing divisiveness,
0: you know, we uh, have a massive case of uh, psychosclerosis in America right now. I um, mean, it's it's bad. <laughs> it, it, everybody, that's hardening of the, heart and the other mind, but it's you know, it, you just with the social media, they throw anything out there, make it up, and yeah. people just that it's real.
1: And the what press happens. does it too. Sure. If you've got you've got a, some agenda-driven press out there, I had a bill last session. Uh, it's totally wrong. Instead of calling me the bill sponsors, they put out these stories that were not even they didn't even read the bill. They, mm-hmm. they had no context or understanding of the bill.
0: That's because there's so many of these other nonprofit there's, political groups that are out there churning stuff left and right. Well, the media now has to try to beat them to it so they don't have good old days of the printing press where you can sit there and you know you could research it you could interview people you could actually write a good story now it's like i gotta get there first because who's ever first is
1: you get those clicks As,
2: and even the standard is so low now that even if you're wrong it's it's such a fast turn and burn that it, you're wrong, so what? And we're moving on. That's right. It's, there's no accountability in that, which is unfortunate.
3: I mean, watching how these anti-groups work, it's amazing how a small number of individuals are very active. Mm. And with Facebook or any of the Instagram or all that, make it look like there's a lot of them out there. Yeah. When we all know it's not in numbers. It's just in the way they are able to mm-hmm. message.
2: It, it, and honestly, we could replicate that as well. Our, our community largely stays quiet. That's just who, I think that's who we are by nature. But if we employed also, some-
1: Work and hunt other yeah, things and have yeah, lives
2: too. Yes, ma'am. I agree with you. But if we could find a way to replicate some of that, I, I think our voice would be amplified as well. To that point and all your points, you know, it kind of makes me think of the advisory councils. Some states have them, some states don't, but I think there's value in that and working through that because then that way you as a legislator, the lead's points can can have a focused message coming from the constituency in your states. And if, if they can all agree on a few goals for that session, or if there's a couple of things coming up that they're concerned about, it's a united single message. You're not hearing it. Like you said, the Chirping from all the different organizations, they're all going to prioritize what's important to them instead of the entirety of the community. And then you're not losing your trappers and your houndsmen, and then the dominoes are falling. You're exactly right, Fred. The advisory council is important because,
0: you know, I think it's, it's our nature as um, outdoors folks to basically. Be quiet, because Fred, I don't want you to know where I caught those fish. Yeah, yeah that's um, right. You know, and Rob and Robin, I shot that big buck somewhere in the woods. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, so I think we've always kind of, you know, inherently that's who we are. Uh-huh. Kind of like keep, keep it close to the vest. Uh, but I think it's gotten to a point now where, yeah, we have to basically take the vest off a little bit uh-huh. and educate the people of what we're doing, how we're doing it. You know, the rep, like I said, back to, you know, it pays a lot of taxes. It employs a lot of people. You know, that side's not known. And you can do it in a, uh, in a manner where you can do that. And that's where advisory group comes in handy because they're, they're kind of speaking for you. Sure not this one of those old stinking politicians out here, you know, trying to sell me a, a, a load of. Yeah. It's uh, So it's, it, I think those, are, and, and then you you are building, expanding your your uh, your base mm-hmm. for, for
2: Items you may have or things they may want. Very good. We're getting to it. I've taken up a bit of your time here, and I thank you for it. And I want to leave you with the opportunity for some words of wisdom, parting thoughts. And we'll start with Senator Webb, please.
1: Just uh, stay diligent. Stay aware. And if you're a legislator listening to this, um, don't rely on staff. Read the bill's. Talk to stakeholders, talk to affected parties, call us. I mean, like Jeff said, we've traveled in our past. I will still travel. Send me your legislation and I will look at it. I will vet it. I will tell you what I think. I keep up. I spend way too much time on this, you know, uh, strategies, whether it's uh, my horses or cattle or hunting and fishing, it's the same strategy, different subject matter. So uh, be very aware of the legislation. And you sportsmen's groups have got to come together and, and be one voice, if you can, on what you can agree on and uh, help us work out what we can't agree on. But do it together in a manner that does not create a chink in the armor.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Brian? Yeah, uh, exactly right, Robin. And, and be persistent. I mean, don't, just because it, it doesn't happen, you know, in the time frame you would like it to to be you're also dealing with government which sometimes takes forever Mm -hmm. and sometimes that's a good thing too um so just stay persistent (laughs) stay positive don't don't come in and you know be uh angry and and elevated like i said the psychocirrhosis don't don't come come in open-minded not Mm hard-headed and and to a point of hey it's it's not going to be what's on a sheet of paper it's going to change and you may not get all of it today but if you can get some of it it's a victory Mm-hmm. Like that is a victory and move on. You slowed things down to stop and get, you know, and those that are listening, whether you're, you know, there's other ways to help this organization uh-huh. besides being an elected official. Uh, you can, you, advisory committees, boards, whatever you're doing in your industry, the sporting society. Uh, there's a lot of different things now this organization has made available to folks, uh, to help keep the mission positive and keep the mission going. So that's, what I would say is get involved. There's many ways to get involved locally, nationally, um, but just get involved if you're passionate about it. Uh, there's those that want to take it away from you. Mm-hmm. We just want to make sure it's, it's here. Yeah. great. eighth. Herb um,
3: I will say, you know, for the sportsmen and women out there, uh, be active. Don't think that somebody else is going to do it for you. Um, I know as a legislator, when we have, anti-hunting, anti-trapping bills. I get lots of emails and lots of phone calls from the other side and not many from sportsmen and Mm. women. That being said, probably because they know where I stand on the issue, but it's still important to contact legislators. They want to hear from you. And, you know, get out there. Make that phone call. And for the legislators out there, um, we now have caucuses in all 50 states know who your co-chairs are, know who, who's in the organization. And, you know, if you need some research or any help on legislation, please reach out to staff here at NASC because that's what we're here for. We're here to help you. Um, and this is what this organization is all about.
2: Well said. Thank you all very much for your time. I appreciate it. This is a, a wonderful conversation and I hope folks uh, will take it and, and share it around far and wide and, and, and get it to those folks who have the opportunity to make a difference. So thank you all very much. Thank you. Thanks again to my guests, Senator Webb, Representative Goley, Mr. White, for their time and, and going through all that and the great conversation. Takeaways. Nothing you guys haven't heard here, but it's nice to hear it from those folks, people that have been there since day one all the way up through today. Get involved. That's, I mean, towards the end there you heard that the history lesson is fantastic it gives context to who we are where we've been where we want to go but so many people in our community can can grab can grab so many of our issues by the throat and bring them to our co-chairs to our caucus members to the caucus itself and work with these leaders to to really get things to write some ships in certain states to to get some good stuff over the finish line, highlight the stuff that's important. And it's, all, it's not all doom and gloom. You know, it's important to, to celebrate our caucus members when they advocate for good policy, for good legislation, and, and get that over the finish line. Um, we are in totality a small segment hunting. They're, they're, we got a great angling community across this great country. And a very strong recreational shooting community, uh, but we know our hunting uh, community is is waning and has been for years. So uh, working amongst all of our our friends, our our colleagues, and our leadership at the state houses is, is how it's how we can get good stuff happening and thwart um, ill-advised legislation that gets cropped up and as we move into Session's opening. Um, many this week, as you're hearing this podcast drop, it's vitally important to be involved. And the simplest thing you can do, here's that drum, I'm going to beat it. Look up who your local representation is. Send them an email. Hi, I'm so-and-so. Nice to meet you. Here's what is concerning me. Uh, here's what I want to see happen. Can you champion some, some positive legislation for our our state sportsmen and women. I want to help. Uh, it's it's not that time consuming, and it can mean so much.
3: We got a lot going
2: on. Uh, it's the start of a new year, and uh, times are going to get busy. And and then add to that little little thing called an election. <laughs> Gee whiz! For me, it's 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 begun months ago and now as uh, as we draw near to um to our first in the nation primary uh here in New Hampshire and then I, you guys out in Iowa are going to have your uh your deal going on first i mean we are days and weeks away from from really kicking all this off so you know as people are trying to to get elected to get reelected and obviously the, the huge national elections as well, it's going to be vitally important to be, to be paying attention to what's going on in your backyard and at your state houses because so much of the oxygen is going to get sucked out of all these rooms. Again, as people are trying to hold their seats, people are trying to come on board, and then the very loud and boisterous presidential campaign, governor's campaigns, Senate and congressman campaigns are just so much going on. So stay alert, stay tuned in, and you can get all so much information by going to our website and staying in tune to what CSF has going on, what our staff is doing at your state capitals, listening to this publication, signing up for the EPUB of the Sportsman's Voice, loads and loads and loads of resources at your very little fingertips. It's, it's super convenient. And we will continue to update carryover policy from, from late 2023 as it, as it advances and keep you guys up to date on all of it. So, welcome to 2024. Thanks for having us along. As we said uh, in the last edition, 23, 23 pieces of federal legislation were, were forwarded of those. We got two, two of those we owned. Uh, And that's pretty fantastic. So uh, that's not a terrible um, batting average as it it pertains to what got over the finish line uh, at the federal level. I don't know what that really says about the two bodies not getting a whole lot done in 2023. But of the things that got done, uh, rest assured, CSF had a a very mighty hand in in moving and shaking and and bringing uh, folks uh, to the table. Um, in a bipartisan way and getting stuff done for America's sportsmen and women. So I'll leave you all with that. Charging into a new year. Thanks so much for having us. Until next time, see you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on this edition of the Sportsman's Voice podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, your support is crucial and you can help us out right now by leaving a review, filling in those five stars where available, sharing this episode with friends and family, and engaging with us socially, CSF can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and X, formerly known as Twitter. Together, we can protect the outdoor sports we love and continue to keep you informed wherever you are. That's it for this week. Until next time, we'll see you later.